This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. But yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far-left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Godless Revolution! (laughs) We have... Phil is going to love hearing that intro. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a little John Oliver for you. Ah, uh, yeah, I like John Oliver. He does that. Welcome, welcome, welcome uh, to last week tonight. I'm John Oliver. Hmm. This is, I'm not John Oliver, but this is episode 178 of the Godless Revolution. Today is Tuesday, October 17th. You heard that right. It is Tuesday. Yeah. We are no longer recording on Fridays because Ryan's fucking schedule changed I again. Fuck it. Every I eight like weeks. Fridays. Every eight weeks. You know my schedule changes every I eight know. weeks. But so, so I have two shows <laughs> that I still have to edit while we're recording this one. So after tonight, I'll have three shows that I need to finish editing. Holy shit. And get out there. Why, here's what I want to know. Why do we always go based on your ability to not work the next day? Because the, <laughs> we've done this show for years and the last, your last work schedule when we had it on Fridays was the first time <laughs> that I got to do shows without <laughs> having work the next See, day. When I used to work at Hill, we did do shows where I had to work the next day. Uh-huh. And I didn't mind that, because I didn't have to drive didn't... fucking two hours to work and have to be up at four in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I think Matt is the one who totally gets screwed on the whole deal, like, because when I have to work in the morning, that means I roll out of bed and walk down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matt has, a, after we finish recording, Matt's got an hour drive home, and then still working early in the morning, so... You're quite the trooper, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm super special. I'm one of the specialists of the snowflakes, so we go around my schedule. <laughs> you are you are a true millennial. Plus, I do work Fridays now, so I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, So yeah. no social life for you on the weekend? Nope. None whatsoever. Nope, Miss Halloween and shit. Uh, we... Had a very, very long interview with our guest this evening, Mr. Phil Ferguson. Long uh, and awesome. It was it was a lot of fun. I yeah. really like Phil. Mm-hmm. He's, I don't know, he's, he's just very genuine, down to earth, uh, super nice guy. I, I think I told everybody during one of our previous episodes that, you know, I on, on my way home from the American Atheists Convention in South Carolina, that I was at the airport and Phil, I can't remember if he poked me or waved at me. On my first layover stop, and he where happened to be. He, where did he poke you? On the faces book. Oh, okay. On the on the <laughs> book of face, and because he happened to be in the same airport and yeah. just saw that I was near or whatever in the area, and we got together and sat down and chatted for a little bit. But yeah, then I didn't have to spend that time on the layover all by my lonesome. Very and he, cool. well, and he came to me like he was. A couple of concourses away, I think, and took the train. To yeah, that was in the Atlanta there. airport, right? Yes. Yeah, that's one I of those. say yes. It's a huge airport. Yeah. Super big. Uh, but rather than bore you with what we did throughout the week, we figure we'll just get right into the interview with the always awesome and super cool and nice Mr. Phil Ferguson. 
we've got Mr. Phil Ferguson on the line. How you doing, Phil? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really well, man. Thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. I've wanted to get you on the show for quite a while, and I don't know. I'm busy and lazy at the same time, <laughs> so contacting people to come as guests on the show isn't my strong suit. Like Everybody that I've asked has always been very gracious and awesome and said, yes, absolutely, we'll come on when we can, and we get things scheduled. I just have a hard time creating that initial contact to start that conversation because I've got a lot of other stuff going on as well. And I know you're super busy. Well, I luckily have uh, tomorrow, actually, an interview with a, an author uh, about a book for the uh, stock market collapse in 1987, the single largest one day collapse. And I sent her an email. She responded right away and said, talk to my assistant. <laughs> and the assistant said, when would you like to do this? And I sent her a whole bunch of times and a whole week goes by. And then she contacts me and goes, oh, sorry about that. Uh, when would you like now? And I sent her some more times. And she just contacted me today, this afternoon, and said, uh, how about tomorrow morning? Which is one of the times I was not available. And I thought, okay, fine. Anything between nine and noon, I'll fit her in. And they come back and they go, she can do nine o'clock, but only for 15 minutes. Oh. <laughs> and I said, fine, nine central it is. And then she comes back. She goes, no, nine Eastern. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I, I normally don't start work until 10 o'clock. So now I've got to get up three hours early and get this interview or I might never be able to get it. So what are you going to do? Well, and you have that luxury of not starting until 10 because you own your own business and, and Work for yourself and from home most of the time, right? Uh, yeah, home most almost always. I mean, if I go to a conference, sometimes I'll take a break and do an hour or two of work. But when I say I start at 10, the unfortunate thing is often I don't stop until 10, 12 hours later. So mm. it, it's not like I'm working four hours a day yet. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who who are of the uninitiated sort or who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll give you a little bit of uh, background that goes specifically with the show. I am probably a 12-year activist in the secular movement. I've been on the board of directors for the Secular Student Alliance uh, for a total of five years, on the board of directors for Atheist Alliance International before it split into International and America. I was most recently on the board for the Reason Rally. I was the treasurer, and they asked me to join after, please make important note of this, <laughs> after the financial meltdown and disappearing money that happened. Uh-huh. And they, they asked me if I would be on the board, and I said, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I already know more than I should about what happened. Um, mm -hmm. And they said, okay, well, thanks. And, and then uh, called me back later and said, please, would you be on the board? <laughs> and I said, and I said, we need you. And I said, well, I understand that you need me, but I don't need you. So if you guys fuck this all up, if there's any kind of stone around my neck to be involved with an organization that can't handle money, it looks bad for me. I mean, this is my fucking career. This yeah. is my livelihood, uh, having this perception that I can handle money. And they said, what would it take? And I said, okay, all right. You, you know, if you're going to play the what would it take game. So I made a list of like 10 or 12 demands of what they would have to do uh, for me to consider it. And they agreed to every fucking one of them. 
Were they were they prima donna stuff? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it was green M and M's. So like so like one of the demands is first of all, I would not be the check writer. I don't have time for that. And they have to have a third party organization. So they hired an accounting firm that would write the checks. So no one within the organization had authority to write the checks. So when a bill came in, who whatever uh, committee or sub department that was in charge of it would approve it. It would go to the executive director, Liz Liddell, and then it would go to me and I would approve it. And then it would go to the outside CPA firm for them to pay the check. And that way, no one can write checks to friends or friends of friends. And it really mitigates the opportunity to play tricks key. Uh, because before I took over, they had multiple people had debit cards and visa cards mm -hmm. and all that shit got cut up and only one person could do it. And just a lot of things like that where Every month there was a reporting. There, there were certain documents that had to be filed. There were calculations. There were uh, people on the board that got to see all of the information every month in, or close to real time so that if anything was going wrong, everybody would know right away because multiple atheist organizations in the past had issues with financial difficulties. Mm -hmm. And it usually comes up and it starts with this attitude of, hey, we're all atheists here. None of us could possibly fuck the others. Well, <laughs> guess what? We're also humans. And without checks and balances, sometimes a small percentage of people get tempted. And that's what happened previously, that someone who was known, well-known, well-respected, um, started borrowing a little bit of money to pay their bills. And then, then they maybe intended to pay it back, but it just kept escalating and then... Yeah, and, world and snowballing out of control. And and that kind of thinking really fucking bothers me because we hear that from Christians all the time, right? Oh, he's a good Christian, but he'd never do anything like that. We can trust him with anything. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, that that's what makes it so easy for someone in a church to carry the plates to the room where everybody's counting and they grab a couple hundred dollars out of there and shove it into their pockets. Yep. It, it's not checked or audited or tracked or maintained. It's just a big pile of cash being handed around. Um, and anytime there's that, there's going to be a small percentage, a small percentage of atheists and a small percentage of Christians and other religions that are going to take advantage of it. Most people mean well and do well and give it their honest best, and they have great integrity. It, it's, but it's one of those things that uh, if Christians can steal, uh, obviously the God is fake because they didn't make them any better people. So that's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, and of course they would never say that about atheists. Yeah, it, it's not. Uh, we're not highly looked at by some Christians, and it, of course it depends on who you talk to and what sure. their worldviews are. Yeah. there's there's some Christians that are pretty normal, well thought out human beings, and just kind of go, "Eh, there's a God, and everybody gets to go to heaven." Kumbaya, let's all live in peace and harmony, and it's not so bad. And then there's other people who say. No, I'm not making a fucking cake for a couple of faggots. Mm -hmm. So there's there's the whole extreme there. Yeah, I I was contacted by a friend earlier today uh, who sent me a link to a meme that was posted on another fairly well known atheist uh, page, and it was one of the one of the old fifties uh, memes, you know, where it's like. The 50s housewife who with her perfectly coiffed hair and her apron and she's setting a plate down on the table and I can't remember exactly what the wording was, but it was something like, you know, mommy, why, why are there Christians in the world or something like that? And the mother's response was, 
because people are fucking stupid. And, you know, and a lot of time I can look at stuff like that and I laugh and I think, oh, yeah, it's funny. A lot of them are stupid. And I don't know. Today I was in a more contemplative mood and my response was, yeah, you know, that's that's funny. I can usually just kind of laugh about that kind of stuff. But clearly not all Christians are stupid people. You know, not there and not all atheists are smart at the same time. Also, I've, you know, I, I know a lot of really smart Christians who just, for one reason or another, have never applied any critical thinking to what they believe as a Christian. And I know a lot of atheists, or I know a fuck ton of atheists who are really stupid people and probably are atheists, but they don't have what I would consider good valid reasons for being an atheist like they don't think about it it's just well yeah of course the whole idea of a god is stupid and that's why i'm an atheist but they haven't come to that through any real uh rational thought or discovery or or learning about a a whole bunch of religious traditions and what those religions believe and why the position of being an atheist is probably the more logical or more correct position to have it's just well yeah god is stupid and christians are bullshit yeah, I, I mean, I the very first conference I went to was probably the amazing meeting, like number three or four, 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's skepticism. So even there, you could have some confusion. But the first time I went to an atheist conference and started talking to people, clearly we only agree on one thing, but they could believe crazy stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I have met atheists with some of the most incredibly, obscenely, grotesquely moronic views of other things in the world flat earth. as an example uh flat earth yeah. atheists, <laughs> um 9-11 truthers yeah uh libertarians i mean there's just no end to the craziness <laughs> libertarians <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> yeah. please send your mail to dan ellis <laughs> <laughs> they are one of the banes of my existence i i rail against libertarians fairly often you know i i have talked about it with Matt several times and said, you know, when I was younger, I had a lot of libertarian views about things. And then I grew up and I learned a bunch more about the world and I no longer have, you know, like there's a lot of things that libertarians say, a lot of the sounds they make with their mouths or little things they type out on their keyboards I can get behind and agree with. But for the most part, I cannot get behind libertarianism as a platform as if a, a group of libertarians could agree on a platform anyway. Yeah. I, I wish I knew who said it because it, it's a quote that deserves credit. But uh, someone said that every American at the age of 18 should read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand and then completely forget it by the age of 19. <laughs> uh, I, I will admit, though, or will recognize uh, one of the most wonderful and thoughtful people I ever met was a libertarian at an atheist conference. And this person was explaining to me why we shouldn't have public schools hmm. at all as, as a society. And I said, I, I really can't wrap my head around this. And I know I'm also human and I oft, often get attracted and share and thumb up and like things that I agree with. Just without even reading the story, you know, I see a headline and I get burned a few times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I see something that I think is so obviously stupid that I discount it. And so I try to fight that. And I said, hey, you know what? This seems like one of those situations where what you're telling me sounds so ridiculously wrong. 
I want to hear your perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down with this young man, my wife and I sat down with him and I said, let me buy you some drinks to, to compensate you for your time. And he went through and talked about how, you know, you close all the public schools and companies would set up. And, and at the time we lived in a town with 4,000 people. And I said, what if no company sees our community as being a big enough market to open a school? He said, well, then everybody could drive their parents to the bigger town. And I said, okay, for, for me, that's 12 miles, <laughs> not, not killer. But there's some people that are in really small towns that are 60, 70 miles yeah. from a town. And what if the person actually works in their hometown and they have to drive an hour and a half to school and then an hour and a half back to get to work? And where do the kids wait before and after? And how does all that work? And he says, well, people could volunteer to help each other and maybe they could like carpool and drive. And I said, or they could pool a bunch of their money together and buy a, a van and, and uh, that could hold a bunch of kids and maybe get a really long van and paint it yellow. <laughs> you know, that was me being a smart ass there, but we went through all these different things. And after two hours of discussion, he stopped and he says, you know what? I think you're right. This won't work. <laughs> and I was just so honest. I don't, I don't think I can count on one hand the number of times that someone in real time mm -hmm. recognized that what they held sincerely and deeply and honestly was in error and then admitted it out loud to the person they were talking to. I was just so honored to have met this person because they could change their mind. Like I was once talking to a lady and she says, Phil, you know what your problem is? And I'm like, oh God, please tell me. That, you know, <laughs> I can hardly wait to hear what it is. This is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> um, she said, you think you're right about everything. And I said, wait, 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 wait. Do you hold beliefs that you think are false? And she goes, well, well no. And I go, oh, okay, because what you just <laughs> said is that's what you said. And you're implying that it's a bad thing that what I think I believe is actually true. She goes, no, no, I, I, I wasn't clear. And I said, okay, well, let's try again. And she <laughs> says, if I showed you that something you believed was false, what would you do? And I said, if you convinced me that one of my beliefs was false, I'd spin on a fucking dime and change my mind. But you know what would happen? I'd be right again. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't know where the, the problem is with this. And, and they just couldn't, they're like, well, that's not what I mean. And I go, we'll try again. And just never got anywhere. <laughs> well, you'd said that you were honored to sit with that person who could change their mind like that. But I mean, clearly it wasn't, it wasn't a one way thing. I mean, you, you spoke to them in a way that spoke to them, right? You, you I, had I a did, conversation and, with them. And the, the trick, at least in that scenario was kind of like, give examples and walk through it. And they hadn't spent their entire lifetime as a Christian might building up defenses and having, uh, you know, counter arguments. One of the things that I've said is that apologetic arguments don't have to be good. They only have to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when the Christian says them, you on the outside could look at that and go, that's fucking stupid. That doesn't make, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think. They make this argument. And it's good enough for them to hold on to what is obviously trivially, stupidly wrong to the outside, but it's good enough for them. The thing that I find interesting, this is Matt, um, about that, that libertarian you bought drinks for is how did he originally arrive at that? Because 
it, it clearly you you sort of walked him through the reasons why that was a totally stupid idea. So he hadn't he 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 just decided somewhere out of the blue that public schools are a bad idea and then worked backward, but not even very far. It's not it's not like he had all of these thoughts and plans for some alternate idea. He just sort of decided public schools were bad and then when you pressed him, oh no, never mind, that's a bad idea. So why would he pick that and how did he decide on on public schools being bad in the first place? It's interesting. I, I don't have the answers to that, but I have no, right, a right. second story where I do have the answers to that. I, I met a friend of my son's when he was in college, and this gentleman lived very far away, and for Easter break, the dorms shut down, and he needed a place to stay, so we allowed him to stay in our house. And we were sitting for dinner, and he started saying this libertarian stuff, and I said, it sounds like you've recently read Ayn Rand. And he just stared at me, and he's like, how did you know? <laughs> and I was like, this is not my first rodeo, my friend. And the, the funny thing that he was promoting, as a Indian American, I mean, from the country of India, not North America, he was supporting that the right that a store should be able to serve anybody or not anybody, regardless of race, religion, creed, it's up to the store owner to decide who they want to serve and why. And I asked him, I said, what do your parents do for a living? He says, they run a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I said, do they serve Coke or Pepsi? And he says, they serve Coke. And I said, what if the Coke distributor decides he doesn't want to sell to brown people? And he says, well, then they'd switch to Pepsi. And I go, well, the Pepsi distributor in that area happens to be owned by the brother of the Coke, distrib of the Coke distributor. And they also are bigots and they don't want to serve to your parents. And now they have no Coke and they have no Pepsi and it makes it harder for them to make a living. And he says, well, then they'll go to another Coke distributor. And I said, you have no fucking clue how the world works because <laughs> Coke and Pepsi distributors, liquor distributors, they have an area by law, by contract yeah. that's theirs. No other distributor is going to ship into their market just mm. because some Indian couple wants to buy Coca-Cola from them. They're going to stay out of it and not get involved. And he says, huh, let me think about that. And I go, okay. So we finished <laughs> dinner and he turns to me and he says, I've been thinking a lot about what you said and I've decided that you are right and I was wrong. Hmm. And I said, wait, wait, everybody just stop for a minute. And I, I can't even remember the kid's name. And I said, you may come to my house anytime, day or night without advance notice. If there's anything you want, you may have it. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I said, you don't understand how incredibly rare what you just did is. You, you presented an argument, you listened to a counter argument, and during you know, an hour time span, you acknowledged that you were wrong in public to the people you were just arguing with. Ooh, I, you, anything you wanted, it's yours. It just, <laughs> I couldn't get over the integrity that that takes to do. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. It it does take it does take integrity to do that and and I I dare say courage to, you know, change your your view on something that quickly, but as I said, you know, you you made it so that it was an approachable subject for him. You didn't just say, "Oh, you're fucking stupid." You know, yeah. <laughs> you're fucking stupid and libertarians are garbage and trash and and stuff like that. Like you knew your audience, you, you, you actually had a conversation with him. You spoke to him. You, you, you didn't get him to put up a defensive wall. You got him to accept other information and think about it, mull it over and, 
accept that maybe he was incorrect and, and to think about it and change his view on it. And I think, Oh, go ahead. Sometimes, sometimes when I talk to Christians, I will be nice and polite like that. And sometimes I'll take a different tact and I'll be in their face. Matter of fact, I, I I have not even covered this on my show. Uh, so this is a scoop for you guys. Exclusive. (gasps) Which show is that by the way? Oh, thank you for asking. That is cleverly titled The Phil Ferguson Show because I'm like a naming fucking savant. Um, I didn't even come up with the name either time. I mean, for the show or my birth, of course. But uh, uh, I was at the uh, Pennsylvania Atheist Humanist Conference, and I was having conversation with Alex Jules and Callie Wright late one night, and the bar was getting close to closing. And I was telling them a funny story that I had buying mattresses in the state of Arkansas, Mm. which we could tell you if you want. If you got all night, we could tell you about anything. And this guy stumbles up to our table. And I didn't know if he was with the conference or not. He didn't have his name badge on. And he leans over and he puts down a little folded piece of paper with a bunch of typewritten stuff on it and slides it over to me. And it's a tract. (laughs) It's not a chick tract. It's some kind of cheap knockoff. Uh And, you know, it's in the bar. They've got loud music playing. It's dark. I'm fucking 50. (laughs) And it's black print on gray paper, and I can't read it. And I'm in the middle of a story. So I just go, uh, okay. And I look at it, and I set it aside, and I go back to telling my story. And we all have a nice laugh. And he's deeply disturbed by my story and attempts to explain to us something about Jesus compelled talk, tracked, help. I love you guys, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And at some point I get very frustrated. I said, can you give me a complete sentence? He's like, what do you, what I, Jesus, really anything. And he goes, what you want me to ask a question? And I go, no, but that's a sentence, dude, that kudos. Right. And so (laughs) I'm kind of being douchey, (laughs) but, but he came in and joined us. Well, right. He, you didn't interrupt something he was doing. He was rude. Or invite him. Right. And, and I asked him if he thought the document that he handed me was true or not. And he couldn't answer. Hmm. And Callie pointed out correctly, hey, what would, what would you think if one of us went to your church and sat down in a pew with three or four people and told them they were all wrong? Right? You, you, would, you would throw us out. Right. Mm-hmm. It, move along with your life. Um, and then we kind of changed the subject to uh, he said something along the lines of, oh, you, you wouldn't believe the things that I've seen with Jesus. <laughs> and, and for a second, I had flashbacks to the very end of the first Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. You know, you wouldn't believe the things that I've seen with your eyes or, or you know, uh, moonbeams off Sunraker five or whatever the fucking quote is. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, okay, you have captivated me. I now want to see, I now want to hear the story about one thing where you and Jesus were together and you saw it. (laughs) (laughs) These are the things he saw with Jesus. Right, right. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe he misspoke, right? And so, again, with no sentence structure, I was, I was seven, I was seventh son of, of seven. I'm like, okay, we're done here. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Were you talking to Trump? Yeah. It, well, this guy, <laughs> I, I think it sunk into me slowly, too slowly, just how drunk he was. Oh. 
And so I finally, I said, can I shake your hand? And he's like, sure. And he puts out his hand and I shake his hand, nice, solid handshake. And I said, I appreciate you standing by or stopping by and talking to us. Have a good night. No, as I'm fuck shaking off. his hand, yeah. I'm pushing him away. <laughs> and he finally, with that little tactile involvement, realized that I'm physically, I mean, I'm pulling him in, but pushing, it's kind of like a Trump handshake. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing him away. Yeah. And, and he finally just stopped, turned and walked away. Hmm. Um, and for about half an hour, we kept looking over our shoulders in case he brought back a firearm, but yeah, um, right, right. Really? But, but yeah, that was very, very weird. And he took the track, so I didn't even get to read it. Oh, oh man. I know. That's bullshit. How, how do you proselytize? We don't even give them the material to keep. Yeah, it, it was funny because he said something along the lines. One of the funny things was he said, I don't just walk around carrying these things. And oh. yet you're walking around and carrying them. Yeah. And so, so my snappy comeback was, did you pull this off the top of a urinal? Oh, because <laughs> that's where I see them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just like, hey, I'm pissing. And I got nothing better to do than look at this wall. Hey, look, Jesus loves me. <laughs> Feel weird thinking about that while I'm holding my penis. Yeah, that's that's I can only shake three times this time. <laughs> this is Matt Dillahunty, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Okay, we say we came across this murder site, and we're just cleaning it up. Who cleans up murder sites? I don't know. We're Mormons. Mormons don't clean up murder sites. Mormons are helpful. Please stand by. The Godless Revolution will continue in a moment. Here follows a public service announcement for the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast. Greetings, Americans. Over here in London, we are well aware that not all of you are loud, xenophobic, racist, sexist, religious nuts. But many of your politicians who display these frightful traits seem to be quite popular. Particularly a certain wall-obsessed, small-handed, best word-using, daughter-perving, war-inciting, candy-floss-headed clown. To those of you who choose to follow such balderdash, we strongly recommend not to listen to the two sceptical chaps. It probably won't be your cup of tea. Otherwise, give us a listen. Each episode, we cover any news or current affairs from across the globe. Things that annoy or delight us. That's two, as in the number two. And sceptical with a K. The wrong way to spell it. Cheerio! Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. You grew up a Christian, right? Were you Catholic? No, you were... I uh, was a Presbyterian? Close, Methodist. Ah. Uh, and, and it's one of those things that when people ask me, did I, be, or like, you know, did I grow up religious? I guess so, because my parents took me to the Methodist thing almost every Sunday. Did I believe it? I guess I did as much as a 10-year-old or 12-year-old believes in religion. Um, I was in confirmation class at the age of 13, and unlike Catholics or Missouri Synod Lutherans, where this can go on for two years, Methodists' confirmation is only as long as the human gestation period. So <laughs> about halfway through it, I get to the point where I recognize that I'm going to have to stand up in front of three or 400 people and swear to this laundry list of shit that I believe, and that I'll believe it forever, and I'll be a Methodist forever. And I said, well, no, well, wait, wait a minute. I, I've got questions. 
And I would ask teachers at school, and they didn't want to talk about religion with me, which pissed me off at the time. But now I'm very grateful that, mm. that they took that approach. I talked to my parents. They didn't have any answers. And they said, let's schedule a time where you can sit down independently with the minister for an hour. And I did that, and it was one of the most awkward and painful hours of my life. And yes, all of our clothes stayed on. Oh, okay. I thought well, it was... well, yeah, you weren't a Catholic, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't. Yeah, I'll say too Catholic too soon. Um, <laughs> but it basically came down, the minister said, at, at, as we were ending this hour conversation, and I was feeling I was getting no satisfaction, no answers. He said, just do it for your parents. And that, that clicked something in my head, and I said, I'm done here. It, it, not, you're going to burn in hell. Not, it's true, and you just don't understand. Just do it for your parents. And I can understand, as a minister, he's probably thinking, oh, my goodness. If this kid doesn't go through this, this the parents are going to come to me, and they're never going to let me live this down, and this is going to make my life difficult. Just, mm-hmm. just do it, right? Just, just find a way to do it. And I, it all of a sudden, it, everything lifted, and I said, "This is just a game." I'm, and that was the moment I said to myself, and I don't know how I even knew the word because I know adults that don't know the word. I was an atheist. Well, and this is coming from one of God's spokespeople, right? Like, if anybody should have the answers about why you should believe, it would be this guy that you're talking to. Right. And I, the best I mean, he can do is do it for your parents. I'm 13. And I'm asking questions that an adult man who went through, I assume, high school and college and seminary. Now, there's a funny word for you, just like rectory. Who comes up (laughs) with this stuff? But, you know, he has all this education specific to this field. Mm -hmm. And the 13-year-old is fucking stomping him. What? What? what, I, 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 yeah. Where does one go with that? And, and it also probably helps, and it's a very poignant thing for me. At the same time I was going to confirmation every week, I was watching a brand new episode of a TV show called Cosmos. Uh, the original and, with Carl Sagan? Yeah. yeah. And so, but I had to go to my parents' room and watch the nine-inch black and white TV because they were watching The Love Boat on the 19-inch black and white TV. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, it. but I would sit there on the edge of my parents' bed watching this little shitty 9-inch TV and watching Cosmos in black and white and still thinking it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And the music, and of course, Carl Sagan's lootful voice. And the more I learned, the more sense it made. And then I would go to to, uh, confirmation class and the more I learned, the less sense it made. It was an easy choice for me. Well, were your parents very religious or was, you know, the threat of do it for your parents, was that even a valid threat or well, something to everything, warrant? Everything that you want to know about that is summed up with one word, Methodist. <laughs> so, right. so, no, they really, Methodists were kind of like, hey, you know, God's up there and he does things and, you know, we all get to go to heaven and different religions just have a different way of doing it and they're all okay. And quite honestly, if everyone in the United States who is a Christian was a Methodist, I would have to find something else to do with my free time. 
because <laughs> I don't really have a problem with Methodists per se, other than the possibility that they, you know, empower uh, other religious people to think that it's okay because they're Christians. I mean, right, one of the fun yeah. things I love to do when someone says they're Christian, I go, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I recently met a Christian who said they believe in reincarnation. Hmm. I was like, I, I don't, when did Jesus, I, you know, I, I've met Christians who said, I don't believe anything that's in the Bible. And I don't think Jesus ever existed, let alone rose from the dead. And I was like, I'm thinking that's pretty fundamental. (laughs) You're a a pretty shitty Christian. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when I lived in Arkansas for two years, I was telling you about the the betting story, but I lived there and I would argue with Christians. That was the first time as an adult that I did that regularly because every fucking person was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I would try to use arguments. uh, And of course, I learned about apologetics and, and trying to explain science to someone who's 40. And the last time they had science was when they were 12. They, they don't even understand what you're saying. And they had apologetics. And I finally learned um, to come up with these little bit longer stories, kind of like I would call them vignettes. And so it would be kind of like a pre-written skit in my head that I would invite them to join me on. And one of them, as an example, if they were a Christian, I would ask if they had a problem with homosexuality. And they say, well, yeah, it, it's the Bible's pretty clear, right? And I said, yeah, Leviticus 18.23 or whatever it is, uh, when a man lies with a man, uh, when a man lies with a man as if it were a woman, it is an abomination and they shall surely see drown in their own blood or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And and one could argue that that's about sexual position because it doesn't work that way. You just get a sword fight. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't hadn't actually thought about that. Yeah. 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 Assuming that wasn't the intent, Uh uh, I would ask them if they thought that was correct and true. And they said, well, yeah, of course it's, it is an abomination. And I go, okay. Uh, just a few lines before and after that, it says that eating shellfish is an abomination and that wearing mixed fabrics is an abomination and planting, uh, two different crops in the fields next to each other is an abomination. Do you, do you believe in all those? And they're like, well, no. And I go, well, then you suck as a Christian. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're going to believe that shit, believe all of it. Uh, and they very rarely ever got told they weren't Christian enough in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like a smack in the face, a little bit of cold water going, well, wait a minute. He's not critiquing the Bible. He's saying, I'm not Bible enough. I'm going I'm to go read it and really see what's in there. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> One of the quickest ways to make an atheist. I, I call the Bible the atheist maker. Yeah. yeah. And matter of fact, I'm this close. Uh, I've mentioned this to David Silverman and I, Dan, I know you're involved with American atheists, um, that I might want to pay for a billboard and the billboard on the left one third would have a beautiful, uh, King James Bible or something like that. It says Holy Bible with gold embossment and the, the edges of the onion paper is, is gold. I mean, this is a nice, nice high res picture of a Bible. Mm-hmm. And then on the right. I have two conflicting ideas, and one would be, read the Bible, we dare you, American atheists. <laughs> and the other one would be, read the Bible, the atheist maker, American atheists, or, or something like that. I like the atheist maker one. I think, I think it, yeah, I think either way, yeah, that they would both be sound awesome. awesome. Yeah. They'll both definitely stir up controversy or questions. Well, yeah, that's what I'm all about in my world. 
Well, and that's what David and American yeah. atheists are all about with the billboard campaigns as well. So have you have you pitched it to him? We have talked about it, and and I do fully support David's concept of being the tip of the of the spear. Uh-huh. And so I'm all about creating that space where when someone comes behind and says, uh, I can be good without God, the Christian goes, Whew, at least you're not David Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do they, do they have a holiday billboard picked out yet? Oh, I, I don't know. And, and it's one of those things that I'm sure if I was willing to come up with the 20 grand that it costs to put it up in New York, I, I would get more leverage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, I don't have that kind of dough. Yeah, I think no. they have a separate uh, a separate fund just for the billboards uh, from a well-to-do benefactor that is that has been assisting them with those. Well, and that's a nice place to be, isn't it? Oh yeah. Speaking of of that that uh, that of course is my business. I help people with their investments and money. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you, what do you do? Like you, you say you help people with their investments. What, what exactly does that mean or entail? Well, I I think without coming up with a clever, better name, I'm a financial planner, investment advisor, something like that. Phil Ferguson, Uh, investment planner. Yeah. And and the funny thing is all of those words are not regulated at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone can call themselves a financial advisor or, or a financial planner. Hmm. The only time where that gets a little tricky and you have to register, which I am, by the way, is if you hold yourself out as someone giving financial advice and then you charge a fee for it. Mm-hmm. If you give advice for free and maybe take donations, you can say what the fuck ever you want. Fuck, I, I got, I know what I'm putting on my new business cards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Financial so, planner. Well, what kind of, what kind of schooling do you have to go through or certifications or licensure or anything like that to yeah, be and, a and financial so planner? The most common one that people might know or recognize the, the name of it is called the series seven. That's the broker's license. And ironically, when I first started thinking about doing this, uh, I've been doing this for about 22 years and let me even go back another step. When I was growing up in high school, and of course, now that I'm past 13 and an atheist, I was also very proud of my dad because he was a goddamn genius stock picker. <laughs> I mean, he was buying stocks that would double five times, 10 times, uh, making just mountains and mountains of money. Uh, I come home from my first year of college and my dad says, let me show you how everything works in case something happens to me. You can take care of your mom and your brothers. I was like, oh, I finally get to see the magic, right? <laughs> the keys to the kingdom will be mine. That's right. So he starts showing me everything. And I said, oh. What is this stock here? It is that really worth like a penny? He's like, yeah, it went down like ninety nine point nine nine percent. You know, kind of the same ratio of of Jesus or of, of God drowning the entire planet with Noah thing. But <laughs> I said, well, why don't you sell it? And he goes, it costs more to sell it than it's worth. And I go, I don't remember hearing that story around the dinner table. And like any good human, he remembered the hits and he forgot the misses. Mm-hmm. He would tell stories that made himself sound good and not tell the stories where he lost his ass. Who does that? Right? Nobody. And, but when I took it all together, I found out that he was underperforming the market as a whole. And he had one investment that was pretty new. It was actually invented in 1974 called the index fund. Uh, Vanguard's first one is the S and P 500. And this is now, uh, mid early eighties, like 83 or something like that. Hmm. 
and he's had this thing for several years and he's like, there's this one thing that keeps getting to be a bigger and bigger percentage of my portfolio and I don't do anything with it. And I'm like, what the fuck is an index fund? And so this set me on this path of how does one money? What is the best way to make money with money? I'm fucking fascinated by the idea that eventually my money can do all the labor and I don't have to do shit. Well, it takes money to make money. It, it does take some money. And it's funny because when I talk about how to money, the first part is that you must spend less than you make. Because oh, but I don't want to do that. If you can't save anything, you can't invest it. And the second part is investing. And the third part is time. I give people really boring investment advice. It's like the tortoise and the hare, Aesop's fable kind of thing. And the tortoise, slow and steady. Keep saving money, keep investing, keep your costs down, keep your taxes down, buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. And, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, you're wealthy. But so that's the kind of stuff that I'll talk about. But I learned this about my dad. So it set me on this path of trying to figure out how to do this. And 22 years ago, I, I worked downtown Chicago and one of my coworkers came up to me and said, hey, Phil, you keep helping me with my investments. Can I pay you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about the industry as far as brokers. Uh, I just knew kind of how to invest. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm just helping a coworker out and a second person and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And my first thought was they're all crazy. And then <laughs> I think it's some kind of uh, fable or well, I don't know what they call it. It's a saying, ancient saying. If you think everyone else is crazy, it's probably not everyone else. Right. And so I thought, okay, what do I have to do? So I have to get a broker's license. I'll study for the series seven exam to get back to your question. And I study for a good part of a year online. I don't know if they have online. Yeah, they must have had online then. I got big books, did all this studying and I contacted the state of Illinois and I said, how do I sign up to take this test? I'm ready now. And they said, who's your sponsor? I said, my, my what? This is an AA. Yeah. You, you need a, you need a sponsor. Who would be a sponsor? Well, you can only be sponsored to take the broker's licensing exam by a broker dealer. And so I started calling broker dealers in the area where I lived and they all laughed at me. Why, why would we sponsor? Are you going to come work for us? No. Well, if we sponsor you, you would actually come. Okay, look, I'm a nobody. I have like five people that want to pay me and none of them are currently using you. No, no. We, why would we do that? We're not going to do that. And so I couldn't get a sponsor and I quickly learned, wait a minute, this whole industry is controlled by people who are already in the industry. To get a license, you have to have someone who already has a broker license and a dealer license to sponsor you. You can't just go and do it by yourself. Even if you qualify, you, you can't do it. And I was talking to someone at the state of Illinois and they said, well, you could do a different test called the series 65. I said, what's the 65? And they said, well, it's like 95% of the same stuff as the series seven, but you wouldn't be a broker. I go, but I could do what I want to. And I go, yeah. And I go, well, why doesn't everybody do this? Well, it has one big drawback. And I said, what's that? If you take the series 65 and become a registered investment advisor, or at least your company, that's what companies are called. You have to behave as a fiduciary. And I said, what, what is that? What does that mean? Right. The, the series seven never mentioned being a fiduciary. Mm. And I said, if you're a fiduciary, like an attorney, uh, you have to work in the best interest of your client. 
And I go, wasn't that what I would be doing anyway? (laughs) And and that's what, what, that's the problem. Why? I mean, am I missing something? I'm like, no, no, almost no one in the industry wants that because you can't make as much money from commissions and stuff. Uh, How could that not be part of uh, series seven? Well, it's, it's not at all. Matter of fact, the entire industry up until the recent Department of Labor ruling, which Trump has tried to crush and he failed, and Congress is so busy not killing Obamacare <laughs> that they've not really thought about doing this. And it's been in place now. Well, it was the public was officially notified after like seven years of effort uh, two years ago, and then it became a it was going to become official March 10th of this year, I think. And then it got pushed to June 1st and now it's in place and companies are making big changes and it, and it starts to get fully enforced on January 1st of 2018. And so these really big financial companies are making serious changes to how their systems work. They may not be real excited if someone comes and just flips it back because mm. it might look so bad, but what the fiduciary rule says is that for any type of ERISA account, and an ERISA account would be an IRA, Roth IRA, 403B, 401k, some kind of tax-privileged retirement account, the advisor or financial planner, whatever name they want to call themselves, because there's still no regulation on names, if they give you advice for a fee in relationship to an ERISA account, by law, by default, they must act as a fiduciary, now putting your interest first. And that is a tidal wave over the industry. Now, there's caveats and there's exceptions that if they give you a document that says, I, Dan Ellis, am waiving my right for you to serve me as a fiduciary, you can sign and allow them to fuck you. <laughs> now, Why would I not want to do that? Now, part of the rule is that if they give you one of these disclosures, it has to be in a large font and clearly written. What does that mean exactly? We don't know yet. You know, it depends on how, how many people want to push that. But none of these new rules apply to a conventional taxable account. And so your advisor might act as a fiduciary with some of your money and is not required to act as a fiduciary with some of your other money. It would like be going to an attorney and they say anything that has to do with this drug possession charge, I am, I've got your back and you know, I'm going to work for you. But this attempted murder charge, I'm fucking ratting you out. (laughs) I I mean, they either work for you or they don't. If they don't work for you a hundred percent of the time, they don't work for you. That's how I look at it. Well, yeah. So if you show up to see an advisor at, let's say, say some nameless large brokerage firm, Edward Jones, and you have $5,000 <laughs> and you sit down with the advisor and you say, I think I want to open a Roth IRA. As soon as you open a Roth IRA and put that money in there, they have to act as a fiduciary. If instead they say, you know what I can do for you. I can get you better returns, less volatility, and even if the market goes down, you're never going to lose your money. I can get you a variable annuity with that money. You don't want a Roth IRA, and you open a taxable account, and you buy a variable annuity. They now don't have to be a fiduciary, and they can make a commission of 15% on your money. Mm. Voila. 
So they're just fucking you over to get more money for themselves. They don't really, they don't have right. your interests at heart. Well, that, in the, the that's how you make money without money. Industry, uh, I, I get 1% per year or less for larger accounts, like over 500,000, over a million dollars, over $2 million. The account, the rate keeps going down. I, I do okay. But these big brokerage firms, they're not happy making 1% or two or three. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that they sell where year after year after year, they make more money per year with your money than you make with your own money. And so why would they want to give up making 4% per year and only make one? Yeah. Who, 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 what kind of business model is that? That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's one of those things. Um, someone came to me recently with a, what was it? A market indexed certificate of deposit. And so you think certificate of deposit is something you buy at your bank and you're going to make very little, but it's totally safe and you're going to get your money back. Well, this is a certificate of deposit that's linked to the stock market returns. And as long as you hold it eight years, they guarantee you will not lose money. And if the market goes up, you can make almost all the upside in the market. And so it becomes basically a variable annuity, but it's called a certificate of deposit. And there's still a big, long contract to sign. Well, when I did that segment on my cleverly titled The Phil Ferguson Show, <laughs> I did research and I'm thinking, why did they pick eight years? Well, it turns out when you look at eight years, eight-year timeframes over the last 100 years, there was only one time the market was down over eight years. Every other single time the stock market was up during the eight-year time period, rolling calendar eight-year time periods. Hmm. So there's something like a 99% chance that the market's going to go up. And so this promise that you won't lose money, they're only protecting you in the 1% opportunity that the market went down. Hmm. So the downside protection sounds fantastic to you because you don't know these numbers, but they do. And then they tell you that you're going to get 75% of the point-to-point -point return of the stock market, which means all of the dividends, which historically range from 2 to 4%, Currently, they're at 2%, which is kind of low because interest rates are low. But that 2% dividends, they pocket 100% of that. You're never going to see that. And you only get 75% of the market return. So if the stock market makes 14, 2% is dividends. They keep that. Well, then there's 12, and you get 75% of the 12. Now I made a tricky math, so you get eight. <laughs> so you go, so you go, okay, I'm like, so why are you using rounder numbers, man? Yeah, Come on. Yeah. 10%, 10%. So you get eight. Oh, and by the way, there's an annual operating expense of 2.75% on this. So you don't even get the eight, you get 5.25. So when the market goes up 14, you get 5.25. If the market goes up six, 2% was dividends. So you make four, you get 75% of that, it's three. 2.75% expense ratio, you get 0.25% when the market goes up five. So really they're just, they're using your money to make money for themselves. Right. So in an average year, the stock market makes 10. They keep the dividends. That's two. Then you get 75% of the eight. So you get six, they keep another two. And then they charge you 2.75%. So they're making two, four, six, 6.75% 6 in an average year. So if they invest it in a stock market index fund and the market goes up 10, they make 6.75 and you make 4.25%. But 
but they're going to guarantee that you won't lose money. And they make 60% of the money and you make 40% of the money. Sounds pretty sexy to me. I just want to make sure that the libertarians are paying attention. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) People who think we should be on some sort of a global honor code. This is the problem. Well, libertarians will never hear this show because the internet was started by the government. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. Hi, this is Yvette Dontremont, a.k.a. The Cybabe, and you're listening to Godless Revolution. You can find me at Cybabe.com, at my Twitter account, at The Cybabe, and if you hunt really hard, you can find me at Pornhub. I dare you. Dad, today at school, my teacher said we evolved from other animals. That's not true, is it? Of course not, Stephen. We were created by Monkey God in his monkey image. But how do we know for sure God's a monkey? Well, do you think God throws his own poop and enjoys jumping up and down in place? Yeah. And do you think when he's eating bananas, he periodically stops chewing and looks around with an angry expression to make sure no one's plotting to steal them? Yeah. And do you think his ass is slightly less hairy than the rest of his body? Yeah. Then there's your answer, champ. Okay, but how do we know God really loves us? Because his son died for our sins. Monkey Jesus could have ripped off the Romans' arms and masturbated all over their bodies, but he chose love instead. And I think that makes him pretty darn special. Cool. Thanks, Dad. The next rant will start right after this. Hey, everybody. We're the Utah Outcasts, and we want you to listen to our show. We're a rowdy bunch of super liberal atheists that reside in the state of Utah who bring you current events and featured content on a semi-weekly basis. Whether it's us poking fun at the religious right or ranting at the world in which we all reside, we want to borrow your ears for about an hour twice a week. Hey, and don't forget to tell them the best part about it. Oh, yeah. The show's free for all. It is indeed. So if you like free, we're available through iTunes, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Play, Patreon, and even in full HD video via YouTube. Give us a listen. You won't be sorry. Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. They're making money off of people with less money than them, and then they're using their own money to just invest however they'd like. And in the meantime, they're telling you, oh, yeah, we're making money for you. Too bad you're not, you know, in, well, on, in on the joke. That, through through that, many, many cities throughout the United States in the downtown area have really tall buildings with the names of financial services or banking companies. Mm-hmm. And when you have really big, shiny buildings with names on them like MGM, uh, those buildings are paid for by the people that use it. They don't just magically create money, but it's kind of funny. Sometimes the higher a fee someone pays to their investment advisor, the better they think they are, <laughs> which is kind of magical. I, well, you I get what you pay for, contact, right? You're just, you're just getting fucked more. Yeah. I, I had someone contact me and I had a million dollars and, and for my annual fee for them is $9,500, which probably to the three of you and probably to a lot of your listeners, they're choking down, right? What? $9,500. Um, and I told them that and I'm waiting for them to go, what the fuck, man? And they go, oh, I figured it'd be higher. Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you figure that if they've got a million dollars, you're going to be making, you know, you're going to be investing for them. You said that the typical returns 
on the stock market on average are 10%. So you've got $100,000 that you would be making for them. You're asking for less than 10% of that, that they would be making over, you know, that they would be making out on their investment. Sure. And the question is, and that's what they have to ask themselves is, are are they going to do better hiring me than they would on their own? And if Mm. the answer is no, what the fuck are you doing paying me? (laughs) But a lot of people have shit to do. They have a spouse, they have kids, they've got a full-time job. They have two or three full-time jobs. They don't have time to learn all the stuff that I know. Will I make them more money than they would make on their own? That's the plan. I can't guarantee it because that would be fucking illegal. But uh, the average, so if the stock market average is about 10% per year, and there never is an average year, but that's how it works out in long periods of time. The average mutual fund, average US-based stock mutual fund, makes about 7.8%. The average investor makes about 6%. So if I just, if nothing else, if I prevent you from doing what you might normally do on your own or with other mutual funds, your money ahead right there. You make more money. I make money. It, it's meant to be a win-win. And anyone that hires me, there's no time commitment. They can hire me and learn everything. Matter of fact, they listen to the, my podcast, The Phil Ferguson Show. It's usually one-third finance, two-thirds atheism. Every single week, I get people free information on how to invest, and I still get phone calls from people saying, hey, I've been listening to your show. I've heard all the segments. I want to hire you. And I said, I just fucking told you how to do it for free. <laughs> and they go, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to. I'm not interested. I want to pay you. I go, okay, well, I'm not dumbass. I'll take your money. But um, I, I had a friend explained it to me like 20, 20 years ago after I'd only been doing this for a couple of years. He was working on my car, maybe fixing a leaked radiator or something. And I, I said, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that people want to pay me for doing something that I, I see as so fun and easy. And he says, Phil, why, are, why am I patching your car? Why don't you do it? And I said, oh, I, I, don't have, I don't have any of the tools. And he goes, you can borrow mine. And I go, why? I don't have a, I don't have a spot. I don't, I don't have a place, you know to work on it. And he says, you can borrow my garage free of charge. You can use my, my uh, tools and my garage and just free. And that's why I don't, I don't know how to do it. And he's like, there's books, man, you buy a book and you can read and learn how to, how to fix this all by yourself. And I said, okay, you know what? I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to weld the fucking radiator <laughs> in my car. I, I just don't want to fuck with it. And he goes, same thing, man. Some people with investments, they just don't want to do it. And I was like, oh, my God, that so my mechanic friend explained something to me that I couldn't understand. You know, I, I like to think I'm smart, but I couldn't get something obvious. But on the other extreme, I will get people listening to my show and they'll email me and they say, Phil, I've listened to 50 episodes of your show and I know everything you do. Why should I hire you? <laughs> and I go, what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I didn't ask you to hire me. I didn't suggest that you should hire me. I didn't tell you to hire me. And if you know everything I do, you obviously know one less thing because I would have never sent this dumbass email. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? It, you you want to brag? Oh, kudos. I'll say your name on the show. Jim Bob is really smart. <laughs> <laughs> why, yeah. Why would they bother sending you an email like that just I, to be a prick? I, I, I think... Not every person is 100% socially capable. 
<laughs> oh my god, that was the most diplomatic way that I have ever heard someone put that. I mean, have you ever been to an atheist conference? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. It, and I have, I have literally seen the situation where, unfortunately, it's often a guy who sees a pretty girl walk by and he goes, pretty girl, you know, <laughs> just, like he's going to follow her. What, what, what is that? Grapes of, not grapes of wrath. Uh, there's, there's oh, a book. Uh, of Mice and Men? Yeah. Yeah. Of Mice and Men. And he's like, pretty, you know, just <laughs> can't really function. I and, will hug her and squeeze her and stroke her yeah. and pet her. I love her very much. And I'll name her George. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, else. But you, you get the idea and, and it's unfortunate. And I think, they don't mean anything by it, but they just don't know how to communicate, you know, or, or I'll get the email where someone goes, first of all, your so sucks, but I have a question for you. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's guess the odds of Phil answering that email. <laughs> I'm putting them at slim to none. Yeah. So it, it's one thing that, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I guess mostly fortunately because of the unexplainable success of my show. I, I just cannot fucking wrap my head around it that people listen and share the show because it's fucking one third finance and two thirds atheism. Who makes a fucking show like that? I mean, <laughs> everyone I talked to about this idea was like, you can't do that. And I go, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. Those are the two topics I like talking about that and hybrid cars. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. And if five people listen, I don't care. Well, I getting something like 15 to 20,000 listens a show and it freaks me kind of out. I, I don't understand it, but I'm honored. Um, but people listen and a small percentage call me and say, I want to throw money at you. And I say, okay. <laughs> May I ask, uh, you or put you on the spot here about something. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. really curious about Trump's tax plan and I'm sort of financially illiterate. I mean, not completely, oh, but, uh, but I, I have on my notes, please remind them to ask me about Trump's tax plan. So <laughs> awesome. thank you for uh, doing that. The show episode 232 that I put out just a few hours ago today on October 17th, uh, that once again, that's the Phil Ferguson show. I actually have on. I think this is now the Phil Ferguson show. <laughs> I've said it so many times. That, that's how I get so many listens. But uh, I cracked the code. I found a actual professional expert to come on and walk me through this. And so I just did this this morning and put the show together this afternoon. Awesome. And, and so one of the fundamental things of our tax code, and he said it's been since like the 1930s is this idea that if you pay a tax to one entity, that should be reduced from your income when calculating the tax to a second entity. So if you, in your state, and I'll use Illinois because Illinois has a phenomenally high property tax rate. If you pay $5,000 in property taxes on a modest house, and it doesn't take that much to get to 5,000, your income for the federal tax purposes is reduced by 5000 and you don't have to pay tax on the $5,000 that you don't have because you gave it to your state right. or your county or your local school district. One of the things 
that the tax plan is proposing. And there's no actual written fucking plan. And they're throwing out ideas and seeing what either sticks to the wall or doesn't flip people the fuck out. They're going to cobble <laughs> something together and shove it through, you know, at a late night session and then get Trumpy Trumpy to sign it. But one of the ideas is that you will not be able to write off your property taxes anymore. And that so, sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So if your marginal tax rate is 33% and that $5,000 is not reduced from your income, you might have to pay, again here, not easy numbers, $1,700? Yeah, 1666. One, six, six, six. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I might have to pay, or someone, if they have 5000 in property taxes, would now have to pay $1,666 more in federal tax. Not only that, but if they're going to get rid of itemized deductions, you also would not be able to itemize possibly the interest you pay on your home loan. So if you pay $1,200 a month on principal and interest, and the vast majority of that money, $800 is interest, you might have $10,000 at the end of the year that you can also not write off and you owe another $3,400 in taxes. And any state level taxes that you pay, you might not be able to write those off or itemize those. So if you make 100,000 and you're in some place like California where the tax rate might be 8%, paid $8,000 in income tax, that $8,000 stays as part of your gross income and you have to pay tax on it a second time. So you and, would be losing money on your property tax, on your income tax to the state. What was the what was the other one? Shit. Yep. So we have your your state income tax. Mm -hmm. We have the interest paid on your home loan mm -hmm. and the property taxes paid on your home. All right. Now, there's other possible side effects that people are trying to calculate. And this is some of the detail we went into my show. So it's not casual stuff. We got pretty deep. But one of the things is that if a $250,000 or $300,000 house now costs you two or three grand extra per year to maintain and own and stay in that house, that creates a negative pressure on the value of housing. Yeah. So it, it may not bring house prices down immediately, but they might be stagnant. So instead of going up two or 3% per year in the long run, like they have for 200 years, they might stay flat for a decade. But if they go down in the short term, you could have people that recently bought houses with five or 10% down who by no fault of their own and without a fucking recession are now upside down on their house because no one wants to buy it because no one now wants to pay the extra money on their taxes. And so these people are stuck with negative equity until that can bounce back and, and get them back to where they would have been. So, right. and, and so it's just been, harming people all over the place. And these are just some of the ideas that we came up on the fly. And another one we came up with is places that have really high property taxes. Generally, the single largest driver of that high property tax. Do you know where that money goes? Mm, education. Education. And so now every single person in that school district is tempted to go to the school board and say, you've got to cut my fucking property taxes yeah. and they're going to elect people on the school boards and they're going to cut funding. So whether this is something that Republicans who hate public schools like libertarians, teabaggers <laughs> want to do, it, this may not be something they intended, but it could be a possible side effect where people say, Hey, 
I'm now paying an extra $5,000 a year out of 100 in taxes. I got to get that money back from somewhere. I've either got to move to a cheaper house or find a way to get my taxes cut or not fund schooling or, or something. It can create all kinds of unexpected things, especially if it's done by the wave of a wand starting January 1st. It, it's bad enough if it's phased in over a decade. But just to make a big change like that, and it's all done in the name of simplifying the tax code. And if simplifying the tax code means that the average family pay, pays more in taxes, it's not a tax cut. It's no, tax yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I thought, and I thought yeah. Republicans were vehemently against uh, paying any taxes at all. Oh, so, so here's my next hypothesis, and this is just Phil knowing what Republicans think like. They want the total bill to reflect a reduction of overall taxes. So if you're charging the vast majority of Americans slightly more every year, how do you balance that out? You cut the taxes on the really wealthy. Sure, and, yeah. So you the, get rid of a state tax. I thought when I looked it up with, with the, uh, the corporate tax, it accounts for almost 50% of the uh, taxes that come into the United States. Well, and, and here's a funny thing. You're going to be totally surprised by this. Are you sitting down, all three of you? Yes. Yes. I think U.S. corporate tax rates should be zero. I heard you mention that really? on one of your recent shows, and I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> well, I promise not to cover it on my show because of this other show that I was on. I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to let you in on my little secret. How's that sound? Okay. So you get the scoop. Just don't tell Smalley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like many things that I suggest, and I'm going to throw out a couple teasers. One. You should never, ever, ever save for your college expenses for your child. Okay? That's, that's one thing that I throw out and people go, what the fuck? Uh, under current situation, and that may change if the taxes change, you should not pre prepay a penny on your home loan. But to go with that, and of course, there's a whole system that goes with that. It, out of context, it may not make sense. So you have to understand deeply what I think about. It. And of course, all of that's on the Phil Ferguson show. But this thing with the, the corporate taxes, the first thought process I have goes all the way back to uh, no taxation without representation. If corporations pay taxes, they deserve, at least in their own mind, representation in the government. And I say, fuck that. Well, they've got that now, though, right? Uh, they do. And Obby -obby. I say, you tell them you don't pay any taxes and you get no fucking representation. You can't spend any money on politics, on elections, on anything. Only human beings are human beings. Only people can donate money. Only people have a voice. If a, if a community decides to lower the amount of mercury that a company dumps in their water supply, the company should not have a fucking voice, period. They should pay no taxes. They should get no representation. Now, that could theoretically, and this is a point Republicans have made, and I, God, I hate to say that I might agree with them. If a company is paying less in taxes, they might be more inclined to invest it. However, generally that's bullshit. Yeah, I was going to say that, that uh, we haven't seen that happening. I mean, well, you haven't seen it happen. And here's the deal companies have expectations of what future supply and demand is going to be like. Hmm. And if there's not more demand for their product, they're not going to build a fucking factory and build more widgets because you're going to flush the money down the toilet. It's stupid to think that just because they have more money 
they're going to invest. They only build when they think they can sell more. Mm -hmm. There might be some companies on the fringe that now might have enough money to build the factory they've been meaning to build. But a lot of companies, especially the really big ones, they build what they want, where they want already. So it doesn't affect them. Hopefully what would happen at some point, these companies start collecting more and more money and they've got to distribute it somehow. Now, it can be big pay raises for the executives, which I would not support conceptually, but maybe that's what they do. They might increase dramatically the dividends that they pay to shareholders of the stocks or what would be really nice is they give a three or 5% pay raise to all the employees, but somehow that money has to leave the company. And when it does, you tax the shit out of that. So the government won't get a tax decrease or revenue decrease, but you as the employee might get a 5% pay increase and then it's offset by almost the exact same tax increase. So the net effect may not be a whole lot of money to you, but it gets the companies out of politics. They hmm. pay no taxes. They get no representation. Hmm. People pay taxes. People get representation. Now we can argue separately whether we should tax higher for higher income people, which I think we should. You know, there's this idea that someone is running a business in a big warehouse or something. And they say, I did this. I made this. Why should I pay taxes to my local city? This is bullshit. They didn't make this warehouse. They didn't make this business. But they did provide fire support for you in case there's a fire. They did provide a system of policing generally, which makes people safer. They did provide infrastructure and roads. There's unemployment insurance for the people that you lay off. There's all kinds of things that are set up to make our system stable and safe. So you could create your fucking business. And nobody does it on their own anyway. Not, not entirely. And, and it's an ethical issue. I mean, it's just human decency. Like you, you have the, you have the good fortune of, of making, you know, tons more than, than probably your entire neighborhood will ever hope to see. Just, just, can you get rid of a little bit of that? I mean, you know what I mean? I, I, I will never understand people that, that demand to keep every, every well, cent. Yeah. Of it. And, and how much is enough? I mean, how right. many, how many yachts and mansions? And cabins and ski lodges and cars and everything else. Russian brides. Can one person have <laughs> or need, right? I mean, how much is enough? Well, and the funny thing, I, I don't remember which episode it was, but I had on a author of a book about economics that proposed this idea that if you gradually ratchet up taxes on the wealthy people from now, the, I think the top tier federally is 396 in the past, in the United States, we had rates as high as 93%. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go that high, but you go from 39 to, say, 50 or 60%. Mm -hmm. And it's tiered, and it takes a while, and it works its way up. If you make $100 million a year, you don't ever compare yourself to Matt or Phil, right? It well, doesn't sure. fucking matter. We're nobodies to them. They compare themselves to other people that make hundreds of millions of dollars. and if their taxes gradually go up over 5, 10, 20 years, the taxes gradually go up on everyone around them over 5 or 10 or 20 years. And so the way they measure themselves is against each other. That yardstick does not change. Mm -hmm. Now, might that create some downward pressure on an entire floor condo in on the 104th floor in New York City? Yeah. But who's going to get hurt by that? Rich people. Not my problem, right? I mean, you know, but 
a friend of mine said, well, Phil, what you're proposing is wealth redistribution. I said, fuck yeah, I am. (laughs) You know, how many pairs of blue jeans can a billionaire buy? Mm -hmm. We have the top 1% of 1% of 1% doing all of the things and owning all of the properties. Well, but, but Trump's tax cuts are also redistributing wealth, but they're, but they're doing it the wrong way. I I mean, that's still a redistribution of wealth. There's there's no firm plan for me to critique, which is part of the magic of what they're trying to do. And it was the same thing with uh, repealing Obamacare. They were passing a bill, a blank bill Mm -hmm. that had no nothing in it. And it would be modified by writers and additions and stuff later. And they they wanted to vote on that. And thankfully, Mm -hmm. John McCain had a moment of sanity and said no. Uh, along with a couple other senators and stopped it. But this crazy, we're, we're going to vote on a bill that hasn't even been written yet. Yeah. And if that worked once, why don't they try it again? Sure. And, I, and now, of course, you've got uh, Republicans trying to eat their own, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lucian Greaves, spokesperson and co-founder of the Satanic Temple. Check out my website, grayfaction.org, if you want to be disgusted and alarmed. You're listening to Godless Revolution. In attempting to express society's disapproval via the state in this way, you'd have to, I think, add very largely to the number of capital offenses, horrific rapes, for example, that don't actually take life, and you'd have to very substantially lower the age at which the state could send someone to the chair or the gas chamber or the guillotine. Now, of course, in the societies of Western and uh, Southern Europe, where this penalty was until recently enforced, all, all those things did happen all the time. They did execute children, they did execute the insane, they did execute people preemptively, and they vastly increased the number of offenses for which someone could be executed. And it was the very confrontation with that diminishing return, with the complete non sequitur of capital punishment as an answer to murder, with the disconnection between the problem of depravity and murder and the supposed solution, that all these societies disencumbered themselves. Germany doesn't do it. Hungary doesn't do it. Even even the, the British, for whom it attained something like the status of a national fetish, finally were able to break themselves of the habit. You and the godless revolution will be reassimilated in three, two, one. We see that all over the place, including in the atheist and skeptic community, and I'm very disheartened by a lot of that. But I think there is definitely... Some, you know, there are things that we need to talk about. There are things that we need to correct for and things that we need to have other people think about as well. But I don't know. I think lately, well, not lately, it's been happening for a while now. We get so concerned about ideological purity and nobody can just have a disagreement anymore, right? It's, well, you don't believe the same way I do, and therefore you're a fucking monster, and I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you because you disagree with me on this one point. You can't, you can't just have a nice, and uh, you can't have a conversation about some with somebody about something you disagree on. What, no matter the size, it's you don't agree with me 100. percent You're an asshole. Yeah, and and it's one of those things that, uh, it, often the most extreme voices have the largest platform. Mm-hmm. People who are in the middle just makes sense and they don't draw big fans. Uh, so one of the things that is really, really bothering me in the atheist secular movement is apparently a growing desire or 
lack of concern over deplatforming people they disagree with. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I don't I agree am with emphatically against deplatforming because I might be next. Yeah, I don't I don't think we should be deplatforming people. I think that a lot of those people shouldn't be given a platform in the first place. But once they have well, it, I think it's I think it's I'll, unethical I'll, to do a bunch of the things that have been happening. Yeah, I'll get specific and I don't know if you're talking about this, but Mythicist of Milwaukee. Yes. Uh I think they only had one person that I thought was truly reprehensible, and that's Sargon of mm-hmm. Asswipe or whatever his name is. <laughs> but I, I, I was going to that conference, and I was a sponsor, supporter financially of that conference, which they forgot to mention. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but when I saw the lineup and I heard people starting to express concerns, which I welcome people expressing concerns, what I don't welcome them doing is calling the theater and telling the uh, the uh, venue that there's going to be violence there because right. that's straight up hardcore deplatforming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I watched six hours of video from Armored Skeptic, Shoe on Head, and then Sargon. Now, Armored Skeptic and Shoe on Head, they're basically YouTube trolls. Mm-hmm. And they take videos that have a lot of views, they rip them apart, they deconstruct them, they critique them, Sometimes fairly, and sometimes not fairly, and sometimes they point out logical fallacies and then do the same logical fallacies a minute or two later, which is kind of sad. But it's all about drama. It's all about rage and angry, and they generally don't even have an opinion to express. Their opinions come out incidentally, accidentally. And they consider themselves the most moderate of moderate. And, you know, they're the only ones that are fair and balanced. Yes, I know that was a Fox reference, but (laughs) they consider themselves the moderates. And then every once in a while, they'll say something crazy like uh, women getting paid less has been debunked and there is no wage gap. Completely false. They don't support that. They don't have a video that I'm aware of that says, here's the evidence. They just say, oh, that's been debunked. And they move on. And it's an offhanded comment about something they're critiquing. So they don't provide real content. They only attack other people. I'm not interested in that. I don't think they're inherently bad. I don't really know them. But I don't want to hear them give a talk either. They don't have a point other than ripping apart somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sargon, he's worse, right? And he has... um, you know, so all this kind of goes together, and I decided, you know what, I don't want to go see that conference. And so I voted with my feet to not go. And some people want me to go and stand on top of the mountain and decry mythicists of Milwaukee and say they shouldn't have had them. I guess I'm leaning that way, but it's their conference. They can have whoever they want, and I can choose not to go. Yeah, and I, I think if they want to have a conference full of shitlords, then... They should have a conference full of shitlords and people just won't go. I think, I think doing a lot well, of the things might. that were, that's propo- the problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you really want to have really, really horrible people, not at a conference, let's look at CPAC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that, what mythicist of Milwaukee did is nothing compared to the hour after hour, day after day 
week long conference or however the fuck long it is of CPAC mm-hmm. or the value that, voters summit. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. That's where the problem is. And, and we're losing focus on the big fight to spend time and effort on the little fights. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. I tried making so, that point a, a couple episodes ago that we seem to be way too involved in these other smaller fights than focusing on the big picture. And that's exactly what the what the people in power want us to do is focus on fighting each other and focus right. on these other smaller fights instead of, you know, punching, punching, punching Nazis. That whole thing, I think, is fucking stupid. No, don't punch Nazis. Punch a banker. Punch, punch a politician. <laughs> punch somebody who actually has some fucking power and is keeping the rest of you out of power. Yeah, if you mean in a metaphorical sense, I'm with you. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Punch them at the ballot box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because see, and, and it and it's the same thing with this deplatforming thing. And, and I, I don't know. Someone will say, tell me, an atheist will tell me, Nazis are evil. I don't disagree with you. I share that opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, Nazis probably don't share that opinion, so we disagree. Mm-hmm. There are people, a lot of religious people who probably would acknowledge that they think that atheists are evil. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we as atheists justify punching people we think are evil, are we now providing the framework, the justification, the precedent for religious people to say, hey, the atheists tell us it's okay to punch people that, that we think are evil. Yep. We think the atheists are evil. And how in the fuck do we bitch about it when they start punching us? Yep. Yeah, well, and it's, and it's worse, right? We, their view of atheists is worse because we're not just dealing with a temporal problem. You're dealing with eternity. Yep. Right. You're dealing with, you know, potentially leading somebody astray and into eternal torture versus sure killing them on earth. And that's a terrible thing, but we're talking, uh, you know, on a, on a timeline of eternity. The atheist position, as far as Christians would be concerned, should be so much worse than the Nazi position. Yeah. And, and, and exactly how do we fight? Let's just say, let's stick with this Nazi thing. How do we fight the Nazi thing? Let's pretend for a moment I have no fucking answers. It still doesn't mean that the default of punching somebody is the right answer. Right. Now, I do have some ideas, and some of them sadly take time. We're talking about education better education in our schools. We're talking about not telling people in the South that they won. Yes. Not not telling them that uh, the United States has always been on this arc where things get better because sometimes in history we fuck shit up and it gets worse. People need to be aware of that. We can't hide the horrors and the tragedies of our past. We have to embrace them and own them and talk about them and learn from them and then try like hell to not repeat them. But if we're ignorant, we will. I think you hit it right on the head there. The other day I was just glancing through uh, you know, an, an entertaining list of most Googled by state, right? And Arkansas, third most Googled question, who won the Civil War? No shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, we've all seen the videos from late night shows or, or YouTube videos when they go on a college campus and yeah. ask people, you know, who's the president, you know, who's the secretary of state who won the civil war, yeah, sure. you know, how many States are there? Right. Um, right. Right. You know, or a point to North Korea on a map, uh-huh. 
right? It's just not going to happen. People don't know. They got other things to worry about. But I can tell you what uh, a Snorlax evolves into. I, or at least someone can. <laughs> I can't. But yeah, I can't help you there either. <laughs> I don't even know what a Snorlax is. I, I, I should have used something like a Squirtle or something because I'm. You know, someone might know what that is. Oh, <laughs> I know what that is. I know what that is, yeah. Yeah, po- Pokemon, you yeah. know. Like Pikachu evolves into a... And you have a listeners now Pikachu? that are screaming at the... the yeah, they the, probably are. <laughs> they still can't fucking find North Korea, but they know what... <laughs> well, not our Pikachu. listeners. They can definitely find North Korea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. So what would you offer as the top few tips for regular Joes, people who don't have... A ton of money. I mean, I I know I've I've heard you make uh, a few suggestions that for a lot of people I think would seem counterintuitive at first blush. Um, I know oh, we're you... gonna go back to this money bullshit. Okay, I see how this is. <laughs> well, I know you love Priuses. <laughs> you you own four yeah. Priuses, right? We're, we're trying to do yeah, one yeah. third atheism, two thirds finance while you're here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as far as investing, if you so for example, if you have under fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. The single biggest thing you need to do is come up with some more fucking money. All right. You knew that. Right? Go rob a bank, people. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't have to tell you that, but you, <laughs> you, you, you got to find a way. And it does break my heart when someone calls me and says, I'm working three jobs and I'm only making 30,000. How do I save money? Whoa. I don't Wish know. on a star. Uh, try harder. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's rough, man. People. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, people are often told, and of course, if you have three jobs, it's hard to do, but, you know, find some skill that you can have or get or learn or educate programming codes, nurse, find something that is a limited supply skill so you can get paid a whole lot more. Okay. So there's, there's that. And assuming you do have some money to save, um, on the other extreme, I had a couple call me, they both make $100,000. They make $200,000 a year. And they call me because they have $80,000 in college loans and credit card debts. And they can barely get by on $200,000. And so I ask them, wow. how many times do you eat out per day? <laughs> so for most people, I'll say per week. Right? Yeah. But I had a feeling where yeah. this was going to go. Because with $200,000, you'd think you can save something. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that, and, when you said $200,000 and $80,000 in debt for school, I'm like, and they can't fucking afford shit. That's that seems yeah, they really afford, they can't afford anything. And and they said we eat out three to four times a day. Holy every, shit! Every single thing that they eat, every single meal. And I said, I am gonna make you fifty thousand dollars in the next twelve months with this <laughs> one secret word. I feel like one of those, you know, teaser ads on on YouTube or Facebook. Second breakfast is really important. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 the magical words our grocery store. Right. Right. You can buy a box of pancake mix or a box of syrup. You know, don't even fucking price shop. I'm not talking about going to Aldi. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. clipping some motherfucking coupons. I'm talking about <laughs> buying, you know, frosted fucking flakes for six ninety five for a box. Ooh, I would that's, eat frosted fucking flakes. That's cheaper than going out for breakfast for 20 bucks. Yeah. And you can eat a couple of breakfasts out of that damn box. Mm-hmm. So we're not even talking sophisticated thinking here. Just go to a fucking grocery store. Take a peanut butter and jelly and an apple or a banana with you to lunch and wait till you get home 
to cook a pizza that you bought for $5 instead of the pizza you order for $25. I mean, stuff like that, they, were, they weren't even doing things like that. The, the next thing that they had that is very common is they both leased their cars. Okay, if you want to build wealth in the long run and you're leasing a car, you're doing it wrong. It just doesn't fucking work. If you want a new car every two years or every three years and you love that above all else and you're okay living in a single wide under power lines when you retire, <laughs> you're on your way. But instead, like, for example, look, I, I just bought a brand new 2017 Prius. Okay, so one of my first rules is never buy a new car. Okay, well, whatever. I, I didn't follow my own fucking rule, but I have some money. But <laughs> my previous car was a 2005 Prius. I drove that fucker for 12 years, hmm. right? So I didn't get a new car every couple of years. I paid $20,000 for a car over 12 years, under $2,000 a year for my entire car expense. And you're leasing a car for $3.99 a month. And then after two years, you lease it for $3.99. And then three, you're going to pay way more money, seriously large amounts of money. So that's, that's another thing people can do. But you have to find ways to cut costs. You have to find ways to pay off debts. And, you know, in some ways, Dave Ramsey is right that you want to pay off your debts. But don't freak out about it. If you have a car loan that's 1.9%, don't pay that off early. If you have a mortgage that's 4% that's tax deductible currently and your net yeah. interest rate is 3%, don't pay that off early. But if you have a credit card that's 22%, you should not leave your fucking house. Don't buy pants. Don't buy shoes. <laughs> don't, don't buy new glasses unless they break and you have to have them to get somewhere. You don't buy anything. You pay off the fucking credit card for 22%. Now, once you've got some money saved up, you want to learn about a thing called index funds. And index funds are ways to invest in stocks and bonds and other things with wildly reduced costs and much lower taxes, even in a taxable account. And if you're, if you're uh, 10 or more years from retirement, don't worry about bonds. Just invest in stocks. And if you have under $50,000, I recommend the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. How much is Vanguard paying you to say that? Yeah, I only wish. <laughs> I'm going to look up the, sim the symbol here. Um, so the Vanguard total stock. So if you only have, you have to have $3,000 to play because other than that, you can't buy this fund. Um, and this, the symbol. So if you go to Google and you just type in VTSMX, Vanguard total stock market index is what it stands for. You need $3,000 to get in. The annual expense ratio is 0.15%. And you will literally own an incredibly small and meaningless share of virtually every stock in the United States of America. And all you need is $3,000. Now, if you can get to, at some point, $10,000, the expense ratio drops to 0.04%. That's the Admiral shares. That's VTSAX. So if you have over $10,000, up to $50,000, slam it in there. Don't worry about getting international. Don't worry about getting real estate. Don't worry about getting bonds. All of this is assuming you're 10 or more years from retirement. Your primary focus, I mean, if you're 12 years from retirement and you don't have more than $50,000, it doesn't matter exactly how much you make. you got to save a whole lot more money. And that's a great place to put it. So that's kind of a starter thing. Uh, anyone that has specific questions, they can email me, phil 
at PolarisFinancialPlanning.com. They can go to my website, PolarisFinancialPlanning.com, and fill out the little contact me page. If they mention your show, right, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, find, I'll find some time for them. We'll schedule a call. It might take me a week or two or three to get them in. But even if they have like $5 and just want to get some ideas, they can email me. Please include your phone number so I can call you and schedule an appointment. And, and we'll do that. That'll be a gift for your listeners. Um, and poof, they can go on their way. And it's so weird because it sounds like some kind of come on sales pitch. No, really, I'm not going to charge you anything. I don't have to sell you anything. I don't actually need new clients. I don't need the hassle of you calling me and me selling you something. I'm doing this because I've done it for 22 years with the intent of helping people. Well, that's very generous of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, this is Taylor Grin from GrinandBearInt.com, where we do news, analysis, and commentary. And you're listening to Godless Revolution. And then, all of a sudden, it hit me. I knew who I wanted to be. And I untied myself from that catapult, and here I am. Well, that is such a relief. I know, I know. So, if you have about 45 minutes, I'd like to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, shit. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. One of the things I've always heard is that if you have a 401k at work, you should absolutely participate in that, right? Because most companies have matching funds that they will put into your 401k. So it's basically beyond saving for your retirement, you're also giving yourself a you know, three to five or seven, 10% raise, however much the company will match, you're giving yourself that raise also. Absolutely. And like with everything, I, I mean, I kind of see it as this programming flowchart. So depending on your situation, here's the general outline of the order in which you should save. First of all, you have to make sure you can pay your bills and you have to have a little bit of cash on hand and your checking and savings so that if something happens, I mean, you don't want to be one mortgage payment away from being homeless. You Mm. you have to have some safety and security built in. But assuming you have that, the first place you want to put money is in your 401k or 403b or a TSP if you work for the government uh, Mm -hmm. thrift savings plan. You want to put in all the fucking money possible, but first you must pick up the free money. So if they match 50% of the first 6% up to a total of 3%, well, God damn it, you find a way to put 6% of your money in there. Mm-hmm. You just absolutely got to fucking do that. I mean, someone is holding out money and all you got to do is take it mm-hmm. and you're not taking it. What, what's wrong with you? That, that's not a way to success. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you've gotten the 100% free match, depending on your situation, it is likely better than for you to go add money to either an IRA or a Roth IRA and not add more money to the 401k. Of course, that still has more caveats. Depends on how much money you can save. So if you can save $8,000, and let's say you make 100 to make the math simple for Phil. If you can put $6,000 in your 401k and they give you $3,000 as a match, okay, you just save nine. It only costs you six, and that six came out pre-tax, so it only costs you four. Mm-hmm. So your pay went down by four, and you just saved $9,000. Mm. But you really took six out of your paycheck, but you can save eight. The next 2000 you should put in your IRA or Roth IRA, depending on which one 
or if you qualify for it. If you can save more than $5,500 in your IRA or Roth IRA and can still save even more, then you probably want to go back and add even more to your 401k. So instead of 6%, 8, 10, 12, 16%, for most people, most retirement plans at work, you can save out of your own pocket up to $18,000 a year. If you're 50 or older, it's $24,000 a year. And that's before the employer match or gift or donation or whatever they're going to put in. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to save serious amounts of money. And if you're married, and this is one of those things that you can't get a contract to change it, which is another reason why we need marriage equality in this country. (laughs) If your spouse does not work, you can still put $5,500 into their IRA or Roth IRA, assuming you meet all the other criteria. But because normally you have to have earned income, but if you're married, you don't have to have earned income, or at least only one of you does. So if you both have jobs, you can save 18, 18, five and five, another 11,000. You're starting to talk about serious money. So now your biggest problem might be, can I possibly save that much? Uh, Another big question people ask me is, how much do I need to save per year? And what I normally tell people and what they normally hear on shows is 10%. I consider 10% to be the suck-ass minimum. For most people, it's not going to work. It's not enough. If you start at 22 and you want to retire when you're 65, saving 10% might actually work. Most people don't have the wherewithal or the financial income at the age of 22 to start saving 10%. So you're suddenly in your mid-30s or your 40s, you need to start saving 20% a year. And if you're only saving five this year, you got to find a way. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is for you, the individual listener, but you've either got to cut expenses or work a second job. You've got to save 20% because if you don't, at some point in retirement, you're going to have to live on far less money than you have now. And maybe you're okay with that, but that's not what I want for myself. You can always just be a greeter at Walmart. You could. And it, it's funny because <laughs> my dad was a greeter for Kmart. Oh, yeah? Now, it's totally different when you do it by choice. He did it to make a few extra bucks as a laugh. He did it to get out of the house and meet people. And you'll never believe this. I got it from my dad, the ability to talk all fucking day long. (laughs) So he thought, holy crap, these guys are paying me 10 bucks an hour to talk to people. This is cool. Now, there was also a guy that worked with him and it was, uh, you know, in his late seventies. If they cut his hours, He was concerned he couldn't pay for his heat. That's a big fucking difference versus screwing around. Like my dad went in one time in, uh, let's say March 1st, he went back to the HR office and I got my air quotes up HR office in the back of the store and tells the HR manager, Hey, by the way, uh, for six weeks, all of June and half of July, my wife and I are going to go on a big Alaska vacation. We're going to be gone for six weeks. And the lady says, you can't do that. And he goes, what do you mean I can't do that? She goes, you can't take six weeks off from this job. And he says, I'm not asking for your permission. (laughs) (laughs) The tickets are already bought. I'm going. Now, if you don't need the paycheck, you can do shit like that. Mm. If you need the paycheck, well, first of all, you're not going to Alaska, but you can't take time off when you want. You're not in control of your own life. And he says, you know, I'm not asking for permission. I'm informing you three months in advance as a courtesy that this is what I'm doing. And they said, well, we can't guarantee we have a job for you when you get back. And he goes, whatever. 
<laughs> I don't actually need the money. It's going to make me sad because I'm having fun here, but I don't have to be here. Well, he comes back in the middle of July and he said, well, you're really lucky, Mr. Ferguson. Uh, you know, we, we got a spot for you. And he goes, well, that's nice because I want a $2 an hour raise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something he always wanted to do because when he would tell me about his working world, I envision that he was a member of the movie Office Space. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and he worked in the cubicle farm. Did he get his TPS reports? <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, he'd fill out the reports. He'd do whatever the man said. He kept his fucking head down. He ate his piece of cake every week and liked it and just stayed out of trouble. And he never made a whole lot of money, but he mastered the art of saving. So I think the most he ever made was in the mid-30s. And when he died at the age of 81, was on the cusp of being a millionaire. And that's how you do it. I mean, it just, you know, I, I bought my first color TV only one year after my parents. Because I, I told you I was watching that black and white yeah. TV. They, they bought their first color TV when I went to college. That was in like 86, 85, 86. Um, I think. And, and now I don't know how many fucking TVs I got in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there are a lot of areas that I could cut back on my spending. Uh, and I think maybe after this chat, I will. <laughs> well, it's all about balance and what you can do is, I mean, there's, there's uh, online tools where you can put in how much have you saved now? How much do you make? How much can you save? You know, what's it going to look like in retirement? So you kind of have a, a, a really, really crude idea. And if, if the combination of your expenses and income and the portfolio you have now and saving 10%, assuming social security is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, 10% might work for you. It's unlikely. It's very unlikely. Um, but at least you could have an idea because the thing that you don't want to have happen, and I have this happen from time to time, someone will contact me in their mid to late fifties and they'll say, we just finished paying for our fourth child to go through college free and clear. So they don't have any debt. Now we're ready to start saving for retirement. Oh, you're fucked. I, I and, plan on being retired by that point. Yeah, and that's where that I ask them, what do you think of prayer? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what the fuck to do for you. I, I, can't, I can't fix that. Uh, and that's one of the many pieces that goes into my whole rant, which I won't bore you with unless you really want me to, about why, <laughs> why not to save for college. No, absolutely, yes. You, you want that whole thing? Yes. All right. Yeah, no, emailers, that's too... Uh, um, anyway, so... <laughs> Why you shouldn't save for college? I, I'll bring this back. I'm assuming all three of you have at some point been on a plane. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. And they, the stewardess, wait, I'm sorry, flight attendants, <laughs> uh, the professional flight attendants tell you that if the oxygen masks drop and you're with a child or an elderly person, you put your mask on first. Right. Because if the child can't get it on and you put it on them, and now it's too late for you to put on yours. The kid can't help you. It's the same way with money. If you can't pay your bills, if you can't save enough for retirement, how can you really be helpful to yourself and them at the same time? You just can't do it. Now, if you make enough money and you can fund both, maybe you're an exception to this rule, but we're talking about 2 or 3% of the population. You must make sure you're saving enough for yourself first. Now, the next thing is a lot of people do save for college, and the most common way they do that is in a thing called a 529, and it's a special program where you can put money in there and take it off your taxes, and you can save a lot of money for your kids 
when a student goes to college, the student and the parents, and I know I've done this recently with my two kids, they fill out a form called a FAFSA. You guys ever do the FAFSA or you two? Oh, yeah. Well, the federal application for financial student aid or whatever. I, you did it better than I could. I'm, I'm not sure if that's 100%, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> the government uses that to then calculate how much money you as the parent can spend on your child's education, and you are going to be fucking shocked at what they think you can come up with. Oh, yeah. I know that when I did it, you know, my, my parents were divorced. I was living with my dad. He made shit, and I was making very little as a... Like, I think I worked at Pizza Hut at the time when I was filling it out and wanting to get loans for, for right. shit or whatever. Yeah, it was ridiculous the amount of money they thought that my parents could contribute to my education or that I could. And, and you know, at what levels they would be able, the, the government would step in and provide funding for me. Yeah, and, and I think when I filled the, them out for my kids, the government collectively laughed in my face because... <laughs> I'm not going to get any money, just period. Right. Now, the one nice thing about a 529 is that it cannot be used against you. So if you have a child, little Timmy, and you put $100,000 in little Timmy's 529, the government will not, by law, will not count that $100,000. It will not affect your federal aid. However, if you had the ability to save $100,000 for little Timmy, you're not going to get any fucking aid anyway. <laughs> okay. So no harm. It didn't hurt you. It didn't help you. Whatever. You're not getting any government aid. And if we keep electing Republicans, there is going to be no such thing as fucking government aid on college costs, period. Right. Now, when it comes to the individual college, they have no law, nor should I, nor do I think they should, this little bit of libertarian in me, universities should not be forced to consider or not consider your 529 when figuring out who to give money to. And so they have little Timmy with $100,000 in a 529 with his fucking name on it. And they have little Susie who has $0 in a 529. You as the university, who do you give aid to? Well, clearly Susie, Susie. because she has no other means. Yeah. And, and this can be tuition waivers. This can be uh, job placement where they slightly overpay you for your job so that it's not counted as tuition reduction. Uh, it can be grants. It can be loans. It can be all kinds of things. They can do anything and everything they want. However creative they can be, that's how they can give money to you. And they're going to give it to Susie. And Susie's parents made as much money as Timmy's parents. They just didn't put any of it in a 529. And so, yes, you can literally get fucked for doing the right thing. Okay. <laughs> So that's one thing. Now, the next thing is that in a 529, it's generally recommended in some states, and this program is run state by state, which I disagree with, but the states may force you, and it's a good idea for you to get more and more conservative as you get closer to the time where you're going to pull all the money out. Hmm. You don't want Timmy to go to school next year and then lose 30% of the money and start pulling it out. You'll never get over that. You're just going to lose that money. So you start putting more and more in bonds. So you make a lower and lower return as you get closer and closer to college age. The other thing is the investment companies, and everyone has a program with a different state, they know you're pulling the money out. They usually only have five to 10 years to make money off of you, knowing you're going to take the money out. So 
the expense ratios are higher, the fees are higher, your returns are lower. If instead you put all that money in your retirement plan, your 401k, your Roth IRA, you know it's for you and you know it's for the long run. So let's say you make 100 grand a year. You're saving 20%. Remember my 20% rule? You're saving 20 grand a year. And when Timmy finally gets into college, you can stop saving 20 grand a year and spend 20 grand a year out of your cash flow and help Timmy offset college costs. Now, mm. if school costs 30 grand, you pay 20 and Timmy gets a job, makes 10 or he only makes five and he gets a loan for five. Four years later, he owes $20,000. Not too awful bad for compared to what a lot of people do if they complete college. And if your portfolio does wonderful, you can always pay off that extra 20000 without telling Timmy in advance so he felt like he had to work his way through college. You reserve that right. But if you save all that money and pay all those fees and all those expenses and get all that terrible return and then spend it all and have nothing in your retirement plan, how do you fix that? You don't. Clock's ticking. It's ticking down. You're running out of time. So a lot of that is reasons why not to save into a 529. And of course, you have other things, especially if you only have one or two kids, because the more kids you have, the least likely this is because you can often change the names on them. But if you have one kid and you save, just say $40,000 and they get a full ride scholarship. Well, congratulations. They got a full ride scholarship. Now you've got to take that money out. You've got to pay all the taxes and a 10% penalty. So you paid higher fees, higher expenses, underperformed. Then you get whacked with 10% and taxes on all of it to take your own fucking money out. <laughs> so all of that to me says, why, oh, why? Now, if you are a couple and you make good income and you're both putting in 18000 and getting an employer match from your 401k and you're both maxing out your Roth IRAs and whatever plans and you've got extra money or if there's a grandparent that just wants to give you $50,000 in a kid's name, okay, open a 529. These are general guidelines, but for most people, do not save for college. Invest the money. Let the kids struggle some to pay it off. You're not going to get much government aid anyway. And just find a way to make it work. And like I said, if you're saving 20 grand, uh, and, and while you're not putting 20 grand away for you, the money that you saved over the last 15 years, 20,000 per year, is still growing at a theoretical long-term, based on historical numbers, because I don't know the fucking future, 10% <laughs> per year. Instead of you pulling money out of an account to pay for the bills, you just use cash flow. Because the most valuable money is the money you've already saved. You got a couple hundred grand saved. You got 300 grand saved. If it makes 10%, you made $30,000. That's more than the 20 you helped use to pay for college. So mm -hmm. that well, all goes like... For another wacky example, the car I bought, the 2017 Prius Prime, it plugs in and like the first 25, 30 miles is on electric. Car is $35,000. Now, I, like I said, I, I tell most people, don't buy new, buy used. Well, I am saving 20% and I have the cash flow so I can do it. And I'm on, on pace to retire when I want to retire. So fine, whatever. So... Toyota was going to give me 1.9% financing. And when I was at the, uh, the dealership talking to the finance person, I said, well, that's only for five years, 60 months. Can you do it for six years, 72 months? And he goes, you want to pay the loan longer? 
I said, yeah, I do. And he says, well, Toyota won't go that long. And I go, well, somebody else. And he goes, well, hang on. And he checks in his magic system and he says, the Bank of the West will do it for 2.84% over six years instead of five years. And I said, I'll take it. He's like, that's 50% higher interest rate. And I said, I'm acutely aware of that. I'll take it. He goes, okay. So he prints out the 24-inch long form and he shows me, hey, look, <laughs> your monthly payment's going to go down a little bit. Does that, does that help? And I go, well, I don't give a shit. And he goes, what? And I said, dude, I have $35,000 in cash. I could, go, I could go pull it out and hand it to you and just fucking pay for the car. And he's like, well, what, what are you doing? Look at, he's like, you're going to pay $3,500 in interest on a car and, and you could just pay cash and not pay that $3,500 in interest. And I said, you're right, but I have that money invested. And that $35,000 theoretically in an average year, which never exists based on long-term performance, historical data, because I don't have the future, <laughs> I expect to make $3,500 in the first year. And then $3,500 plus an extra $350. And then $3,500 plus $350 plus $35. And then Right. And it's going to compound. And if I do that for six years, I'm going to make something like twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three thousand dollars. And that will pay for have, the car almost. I'll, I'll, right. Exactly. So not only will I still have the thirty-five thousand dollars I didn't pull out, I'll have an extra twenty-two thousand dollars. I'm now going to have fifty-seven thousand dollars and I'll just pay off the car. Why wouldn't the world would I pay off something early when some dumbass is lending me money? For 3% for six years when I could invest that money in the stock market in the long term and make 10%. Now, will that work out during the next five years? I don't know. Yeah, I might lose this time, but I've done this every single time I buy a new or used car. If interest rates are low, I drag that out as long as humanly possible. I pay the smallest amount of money because my goal is to not get rid of the debt. My goal is to have the most money humanly possible in the long run, and that's the stock market. Hmm. Well, and we might have be in nuclear winter by that time anyway, so. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I, I did have um, one person call me a, a day or two after Trump got elected, and he said, Phil, I want you to take half my money out of the stock market and put it in gold. <laughs> uh... and, I said, and I said, no. He goes, what do you mean? No. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You're not clear. I'm not your order monkey, right? I don't do what you want. You do what I tell you to do. Th that, that's why people pay me is because I fucking know something and you want to just on the spin of a dime, take half your money and put it in gold. No. And he goes, so if I tell you that's what we're doing, you're going to still say no. And I said, you put it in writing. I'll take half your money, sell half of everything you own and I'll put it in gold. And then I'll fire your ass. And he's like, you don't want my money? And I go, not that bad. I don't. Because it's not a good long-term strategy. Now, in this case, I got lucky because the market has gone up a lot since Trump got elected. Or unlucky because Trump fucking got elected. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know the future. And that's the thing is that in the long run, again, stocks make 10%. In the long run, guess. And maybe one of you guys know. What is the annual return in the long run, 100 plus years of gold per year? How much does gold go up per year? Uh, I'd say, per, shit, I have no idea. 
Maybe one or two percent. I was going to say a fraction of a percent. About three. Okay. That's the rate of inflation. Mm. And one of the most brilliant marketing terms ever created is that gold is a hedge against inflation. So (laughs) if an ounce of gold can buy a suit one year, a hundred years later, an ounce of gold will still buy a suit. It's worth basically the same. Well, fuck that. I don't want my money to be worth the same. I want it to grow 10% a year, not three. I'm not interested in 3%. And that's what gold and all what they call real assets, uh, silver, platinum, uh, oil, all of them in a collective basket. Sometimes they go up a lot. Sometimes they go down a lot. I mean, uh, oil was, you know, 140, 100 something dollars a barrel, and now it's 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for. Sometimes they go down. Yeah, I worked for an oil company that had purchased a whole bunch of futures for oil shares, and they did it right right before the the prices totally tanked. Company filed bankruptcy and laid everybody out. Yeah, and and those kinds of things. I mean, there are some historical big stock market drops, but it never lost seventy five percent of its value in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the Great Depression, it lost a lot. And, and you, know, you can also play uh, games with numbers. So, for example, I have heard people say, and they'll have this on, on websites and stuff, and, and it's all about manipulating data. You look at the price point of the stock market before the Great Depression, in, like in 1929, 1933. And it took the stock market something like 20, 22 years to get back to where it was. And you think, well, wait, well, wait a minute, Phil. You, you said there was only one eight-year time period where the market was down. That's 22 fucking years, motherfucker. You're lying to me, right? <laughs> well, that's the price point only. So if stocks were worth $100 as measured by the index, 20 years later, they're back to $100. That's true. However, what you've forgotten is that along the way, those years, those stocks paid dividends one year after the crash, stocks paid an average dividend of 14%. Mm-hmm. Well, that dividend is not reflected in the price point of the stocks. So when you include dividends in all those stocks, the Great Depression, within eight years, under eight years, you had made 100% of your money back. Hmm. It's truly staggering. And and so uh, I just did a, a whole segment on my show where someone sent me the thing saying, it, and the title of the story was, uh, over the last century, the stock market has returned 0.9% per year. And they're like, Phil, what 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 is this all about? And now the first thing is the last century, I'm, I'm thinking 100 years or maybe all the way back to 1900. No, they're talking March 24th of 2000. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, they didn't say January 1st of 2000. You know why? Because it had returns that Yeah, January the market went up a whole bunch between January 1st and March. March 24th was the high of the dot-com bubble. Mm-hmm. And so they took the highest possible, most beneficial point in time, that one singular point, for them to then start manipulating the data. If you look at the number that they had, the 0.9%, that was excluding dividends, which over that time frame was 2, 2.1, 2.2%. They just threw that out. Doesn't fucking count. Mm-hmm. And then they said after inflation. 
So if inflation was over 2% during that time frame, which is about the number, they threw that out as well. The actual return was about 5.2% per year, and they call it under one hmm. because of the way they stated, the way they massaged it. Now, if you went back five years further, the returns were almost normal, almost 10% per year because the previous five years before the dot-com bubble burst, the stock market went up 25 to 35% per year for five fucking years in a row. And so if you add those five years in, you have great returns. So this is only true if you put your money in at the most fucking unluckiest day, March 24th, <laughs> 2017, and you throw out dividends and you, you take away inflation and you end up with 0.9%. And so why is someone saying this? Why is someone doing this? And they want you to buy something conservative like bonds. Well, if you did the same thing with bonds, if you had a bond from 2007 that paid you 3% dividend, first of all, I've got to take away all the dividends because that's what you did with the stocks <laughs> and you made nothing. And then if you're going to take off 2.5% for inflation, you made minus 2.5. But they didn't have that in the story. <laughs> well, no, because it didn't fit the narrative they were trying to push. Yeah, so, so there's all kinds of ways. And, and if you look at just the last five years, ending uh, September 30th of 2017, the stock market has made something like 15% per year for the last five years. So why didn't they pick the five years? You know, they, they picked 17-ish years because those are the exact data points they wanted to use. That's, at best, disingenuous, maybe fraudulent. I mean, there's never an end. I, I always thought to myself, I'll do this show. And once I cover the few scams that are out there, I'm going to run out of things to cover. Nope. 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 Matter of fact, uh, before I could even get the show out today, someone gave me a, a show topic for next week already. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you have been incredibly generous with your time, sir. We are just over the two-hour mark now. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a whole lot of fun. Very, very enlightening. And educational. A little, a little bit scary. Yeah, well, a little bit scary. And the, <laughs> well, and the nice thing for me, there is one thing that I've I've found that I like better than talking. What's that's that? Hear, hearing the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a sexy voice. <laughs> well, well, I told you, the, yeah, I told you when you first picked up that you sounded fucking sexy. I know. I was like, yeah. wait, do we have Phil or Seth today? I can <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a nice microphone and a mic processor and a soundboard can go a long way. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll even say this to the listeners. If you want any suggestions on how to do your own podcast, again, free of charge. Uh, I don't know everything. And different people do it different ways. A, a lot of podcasters I know will spend hours and hours after they record cleaning up the audio and you can totally do it that way, uh, sometimes for free, or you can buy software. I'm so fucking lazy, I'm efficient. Um, and I buy <laughs> physical hardware that makes the recording sound right the first time. A and as an example, if you get to go on someone else's show like this, right? I'm on your show. Mm -hmm. I can't control what you do or don't do to fix up and clean my audio up. I know it's going out the way I want it to sound before you even touch it. Maybe we'll monkey with it on this end. There you go. <laughs> you didn't think on, about that, did you? I'm going to be a fucking chipmunk. <laughs> for Christmas is my two front teeth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show, Phil. We will definitely thank have to have you back. Me. I'm honored to be here. Uh, awesome. How can people contact you or go for more information? What do you want to? What do you want to point people toward on the social uh, medias or well, or elsewhere? The, 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 the podcast, the Phil Ferguson Show. I forgot to mention that earlier. Uh, <laughs> On all reputable podcast players, of course, um, you can find my website, Polaris Financial Planning. Just in case you think you owe yourself some kind of really pathetic due diligence, you could check there and say, yes, he has a website. Um, you can email me, phil at polarisfinancialplanning.com. You can follow me on Twitter if I post something at Skeptic Money, which is very rare. I just can't handle the 140 or 280 text conversation stuff. Uh, Facebook, the Phil Ferguson show has a Facebook page as well as I, and I've recently kicked out some nine 11 truthers. So I have room for new people. It's just Phil Ferguson. Uh, and hopefully let me see what, what is my current picture? I've got, Oh, it's, it's my high school picture. Uh, so I, I found a senior year high school picture. It's up there currently. So, Oh, you're fucking sexy in that also. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know uh, why in the fuck I couldn't get a single date for the entire period of high school. <laughs> well, I mean, you look like a like a young Mitt Romney almost. Uh, almost, man. I was. I got the. Uh, I, I think the problem is it was uh, the mid '80s, and I still had '70s hair. Because <laughs> you when get, you're 18, being unhip by five years is a really tragic mistake. Well, yeah, I mean, it's nice and feathered, and you got the tie. Feathered? You did that well, yes. <laughs> well, that was the dream to have feathered hair back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks again, Phil. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, All right, you, you guys have a good night, and just think about the fact that I'm in fucking central time. <laughs> oh yeah shit <laughs> it's all good I, I usually don't go to bed till midnight because i work at 10 oh until, that's right, right. tomorrow now yeah. I, I gotta get up at seven. Oh, oh. fuck that i know right <laughs> it's the things we do for our podcast right <laughs> <laughs> and now you can go on to your second guest for the night yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all right you guys it's been great all fun right. i'll have a good night all, all right, right you, you too, too. thanks Bye. a lot Hi, this is Thomas Westbrook, and I have a YouTube channel called Holy Kool-Aid, where I take topics and I break them down in five or ten minute videos, trying to give a laser-focused perspective on religion, philosophy, and science. And you are listening to the Godless Revolution podcast. This is just like, it just comes out of a blizzard of, of inanity and craziness. He's going after Meryl Streep. He's, he's lying about Obama wiretapping him. Now he's, he's threatening war with North Korea. And... You know, nobody knows what to talk about. So it's, it's like the, the, the consequence of this is we have a president who not only can he not be trusted to tell the truth, he can be trusted to lie whenever he thinks it suits his purpose. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! That'll wrap things up for us. Before we go, though, I want to be sure that we thank our Patreon supporters. That would be... Gatheist, Anonymous, Larry Wilson, Marius Kotbutrakowski, Dr. Dan Matt's boss from the 2SC podcast, to whom we pledge loyalty. Janet Uter, let them eat kofefe. Stephen Andrus, Mo Cowbell, Christy Kalbach, 
Joel and Summer, Alan Firth, Numania, Rob Otto, Megan Kennedy, whose recent talk at Atheists of Utah was a whole lot of fun. Really cool. And she's going to be a guest on our next episode. So And I won't be here. That will be oh, I was gonna say that will be fun. Well, it'll still be fun. Yeah. It'll be it'll be it'll have less handlebar mustache. True. Which <laughs> handlebar mustache brings the sexy back. <laughs> Andrew Vodapich, Brandy Hamrick, Jeremy Goodson, Angelica Pearson, Andy Faulkner, Utah Outcasts, Wes Aaron, Matt Tuller. Tim Jacobson, a new Patreon supporter. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. The Purple Dragon and Taylor Grin. Thank you all very much. We we love all of you. And we really, really appreciate your support of the show. Yeah. It helps us do the things we want to do and continue improving the show. Let us know if you have any suggestions on how you think we can do that. Uh, send us an email. Contact us on our Facebook page. I recently started a Facebook group for the show yeah where people can actually get in and join in in conversations more than just a normal page talk to other listeners about the show and stuff well on a page it's hard because when people go out and you know if listeners make a post to the page most other people don't really see that post very easily it's much more difficult so uh having a group for the show lets listeners communicate with each other and create more of a community and you can talk about shows and topics and that kind of stuff so it, it's more, more of a two-way communication yeah. or, or, you know, a much more, more open discussion. Yeah, more open discussion. It's not us talking at you all the time. You can talk more to us and to other listeners and bounce ideas off each other and off of us. So I'll set that up and uh, you all can go over to Facebook and find us there. It is a private group. So it, so you. It will show up in your list of things that you are a member of, but it is not a secret, but it is not a public group, so people can't see posts in there. It's also not a secret group, so that it's more easily found by people. So You can join it more easily. So we hope to see you there. Thank you very much for all of your support. Please share the show, like the show, rate the show, all that kind of stuff. It certainly helps with visibility and getting other listeners who may also like the show involved. So, until next time, crucify that like button. Leave a review to achieve nirvana. And rate the show fill times a day toward Ferguson.
But anyway, <laughs> let me start that over. All right. First, well, the you. first uh, sarcastic first sort of uh, nod to our title, I think, in <laughs> in a drop. Oh, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. You want a different one or no? No, that's mean, great. Oh, no, that's good. awesome. Well, good because now you're fucking wasting my time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, why would you just sit in a house? Why wouldn't you travel? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to travel. That's why I want to yeah. get an RV. Where it's like, hey, those don't float very well, though. <laughs> What? No, I mean, like, <laughs> you know how I love photography. I can and drive kind of to shit. Wisconsin and shit. <laughs> That's when I get on a barge. A barge? Yeah, a big thing that that puts my boat, my my RV on it, and it just my wee! Boat. Oh, a ferry. Ferry. There we go. Not a barge. The barge pulls the ferry when it's coming in or the dock. <laughs> I like how Dan said it as if he's never heard that word. <laughs> now we've said barge enough that it sounds weird. Oh, don't make me barge in here. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see that that movie with Pee Wee where he's talking about large barge? <laughs> Isn't that Marge? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. If they're still accepting cash, then. Mm, I might have to give them trinkets. <laughs> <laughs> Little plastic beads. <laughs> I collected these from a large barge, sir. A garbage barge. It was owned by Marge. <laughs> That was my stomach. Wow. <laughs> that was weird. I was like, am I hearing that through my own headphones? <laughs> yeah. I think you might have been hearing it through Ryan's headphones. <laughs> and rate the show Phil, ta- Phil times a day toward Ferguson. Phil, 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 And rate the show Phil times a day toward Ferguson. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's better than fell 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 fell. 